The Secrets of Middle-Earth is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth, where we discuss the hidden themes and deeper layers found in the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, whether in his writings or in any of the media derived from them. I'm your host, Thomas Salerno, and joining me today on the panel are Patrick Mason. Hello, Pat. Howdy, Thomas. And Jeff Hecker. Hey there, Jeff. Hey, Thomas. And be sure to follow along with The Secrets of Middle-Earth in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, or any podcast directory you're at. And you can find us on social media where we're at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or on Twitter X where we are at SQPN or on Instagram, where we are at StarQuest Network. And of course, don't forget to get all your secrets of Middle-Earth merch, including our awesome t-shirt, at sqpn.com slash merch. It's a great way for you to support our show and to show your love for J.R.R. Tolkien and his wonderful world of Middle-Earth. Okay, so tonight we are continuing our uh, exploration of the Silmarillion, but before we get to that, we have some Middle Earth news, uh, including for the Rings of Power. Nope, not a trailer yet, but don't but don't worry, folks. When the trailer comes out, we'll we'll be covering it. But when, when you, you hear this episode, it might have come out. It might it comes have out come out, out by the time this episode is out. That's true. But uh, we had our first kind of casting announcement or leak, I guess. And this one surprised me. It's a new Sauron actor. And I'm like, oh, no, they recast. But I mean, it makes sense because Sauron's a shapeshifter, right? Yeah. Well, from what I from what I've read about it um, and I was I pulled up Fellowship of Fans. Uh, it's it's will be the original form of Sauron. So uh-huh. we don't know if that means it's like Anatar Sauron or if it will be Sauron like as of as a Maiar. Myron, um, yeah, yeah, it's not not completely clear, but yeah, some of the information on here is that he'll be the character that the actor is playing. The Gav, the actor is, uh, I'm probably saying this wrong. Gavi Singh Chera or Kara, um, C H E R A. He will apparently have some scenes, possibly with Celebrimbor in Aragion. Mm. Um, so yeah, we shall see. Um, Wait a minute, Wait. but <laughs> they already were tricked by him once. He's going to yeah. do it again. That's well, funny. but it, yeah, but it, well, it depends if it's like a prequel thing, like where he's oh, gone, where like gotcha. he went to, if he went to Aragion before he was Halbrand mm-hmm. and met Celebrimbor and, you know, maybe got some knowledge or passed some knowledge on. And then, yeah, there's still a lot to unpack with, uh, with Halbrand. Yeah, um, that's true. To see. Yeah. I hope I we know. see that form again, though. Yeah, no, I think Halbern, I think he's he's at least going to be in the next season, um, if not beyond. But yeah, it'll be interesting how they kind of play on that. The story from the Silmarillion with uh, with Sauron and, and what he does. And maybe if we get a trailer, we can and, uh, discuss the- <laughs> we can see a little more. Yeah. And uh, the other bit of news we got was that there's supposedly new films in development at Warner Brothers. At least that's what they announced, right? 
Okay, I don't know if I've heard that one because I thought the the film rights were now with like a some European company or something. Um, at least for Lord of the Rings. Oh well, then it might not be Warner Brothers. I just I just saw an an announcement that that new films were in development for Middle Earth stuff. Is it so films as in like plural? Yes. Yeah. Ooh. I definitely saw films. Uh, but but it was not clear in the announcement I saw whether that meant they were going to remake Lord of the Rings or whether they just wanted to do spinoff material. Hmm. I kind of hope they don't try Lord of the Rings. I think I like I think the movies are probably about as good as you can do for a movie for a book. Yes. Series. Yeah. I think if you wanted to really do the Lord of the Rings, you'd need a TV series. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, we're already a bit used to that. I mean, we have Middle Earth TV on TV right now. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but no, yeah, I, I just remember Twitter blowing up for like a day or two after they announced that and everyone just going like, no, you are the devil for doing this. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, mm. I'm I'm conflicted because I don't want them to cheapen the brand, but at the same time, we need material for this show. So. <laughs> <laughs> for purely selfish reasons. Right. I am, I am always glad to have more Middle Earth adaptations, if only for this show. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, if there's no more uh, Middle Earth news, and I don't think I've I've heard of anything else since we recorded last. Um, well, yeah, so I was, I was just trying to pull it up. From what I saw, the Embracer Group is the owner of the rights that J.R. Tolkien sold, and they are a uh, Swedish gaming and rights holding company. They purchased them in 2022. So, um, but they have the film rights too, not just the gaming rights. Yeah, it looks like okay. they have the film rights to Lord of the Rings. Now, they, that doesn't mean they couldn't do other spinoffs or anything else, but right, at least it looks because, like Lord of the Rings, the rights are with are with uh, that company. Right, because I think like with, because Warner Brothers is definitely behind War of the Rohirrim. And if they have some kind of thing where they can continue to make Middle Earth stuff, like as long as it doesn't say Lord of the Rings, maybe that Maybe that's how they can do it. Yeah, very possible. But yeah, um, last time uh, when, during our Silmarillion exploration, we recover, we covered the initial few uh, sections of the Silmarillion, the Ainu Lindale and the Valaquenta, which are about the creation of Arda and the uh, tells us about all the different Valar and Maiar and stuff. But now we are getting into the Silmarillion proper which is called the Quenta Silmarillion. I, you know, it's, it's confusing. There's a Silmarillion within the Silmarillion. <laughs> Silmarillion's all the way down. <laughs> but um, the, the Quenta Silmarillion is kind of the, the saga of the Silmarils. And these first few chapters are kind of set up for that. There's some things that get mentioned that will be important for the Silmarils down the, uh, down the line but um in in terms of these so we've the chapters we'll be covering today are of the beginning of days which is chapter one and chapter two is of aule and yavana and you may remember them they are two of the chief valar um but before we 
dive deep into this stuff and there's a lot to cover. Um, what did you guys think of, of these chapters, either when you first read them or on a reread? Uh, how about you, Jeff? Yeah. I mean, it, it was, I have my copy here in front of me and just like the outline we have, I'm like, I just want to read this whole thing to our audience. I'm not going to, cause that would be boring for y'all. And there's, there's better narrators out there, but it's just, it's all so good. Um, yeah. And I mean, I think the first time I read it, I've said I I didn't necessarily get it when in my younger days. But as I've read it and reread it and currently rereading it now, um, it's just incredible. And it's um, and these at least these first two chapters or really the first several chapters are fairly short, but there's a lot in there. Like it's in my copy, it's it's less than 10 pages uh, for this first chapter, the beginning of days. But it packs so much in there. And um, but you kind of get to learn about. Um, I, I feel like it highlights uh, Manway in a lot. And Manway is the is the chief uh, Valar, the the vice regent of Iluvatar um, in in Arda, and it talks about him and how he's he's his throne is the high upon the highest mountain, and um, he's eagles bring him news from across the world, and it's a very very Odin, uh, you know, all father type of character there right um, like the ravens yeah exactly ravens. yeah but just yeah it, it's just incredible um incredible stuff and i mean there's so for a first impression uh, or from for my current impression just it's great love it <laughs> and as we dive into it all hopefully i have more to say but how about you pat what do you think of these initial chapters of the silmarillion you know, saga they go by so fast and so much happens, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have an entire age of the world, sort of. It's not, you know, the first age of Middle Earth. It's like the first age of Arda that just, it's like four sentences, <laughs> you know. At first, everybody was at war and, and with and Melkor had the upper hand and then Tolkis comes in and <clears throat> and then you have the establishment of the lamps and then that that's like you know, two paragraphs, <laughs> the spring of Arda and all that. And you're like, you're right, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, we just went over, I don't know, 2 billion years of, <laughs> <laughs> of a planet's history. In and Melkor takes them down right away, pretty much, at least in the book, right. but it's probably like, there's uncounted time in between. So yeah. And you get this, oh yeah, the Valar had a dwelling place in the middle of a lake that was in the middle of, of Arda. And that's how you get like it's like, you know, Valinor, we get all this descriptive text about what Valinor was and how it was set up and the hills and the cities and where everything was. And for their first home, we get like nothing. We get, it was on <laughs> land <laughs> and, you know, it gets destroyed. Um, so like there's just I think the first time I read it, I was just I was already into like the Silmarillion proper before I stopped and was like, wait a minute, what did I miss? I feel like I missed a bunch <laughs> of stuff there. Hmm. Um, and then on reread, I, it's interesting. It catches me a lot like um, the. The sort of early chapters in Genesis were, you know, pre Noah after Adam and prior to Noah, where you you read and you'll read like four sentences and you're like. I think we just skipped a thousand years there. Like, I think, yeah. <laughs> and they'll, you know, it kind of offhandedly mentions people and you're like, why? Who is that guy? And why was he important? <laughs> like, Right. He'll just say, oh, yeah. And, and, and Enoch was assumed into heaven. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, what more about that? You know? That's right. <laughs> 
guy gets three sentences and he walked with God. I mean, come on. We, there's got to be more, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, it, like, upon reading it again, I try and take it real slow and think about everything that happens. Um, so that's kind of how I've been, I've been trying to approach it now. Cause it's very dense. Like there's not a lot of wasted, a lot of wasted ink there. Yeah. You definitely have to, you know, I think, I think we talked about this last time. Like, like you're, it's not like a novel where you're reading like for the plot or something, you're reading it not only for that, but also the language and the, there's just so much packed into so little, you know, real estate that, yeah, you really have to slow down and read, you know, a paragraph at a time and kind of think about, yeah, like you said, that that was a thousand years or that was a billion years in yeah. <laughs> how we would count time. Yeah. You're like, wait, what happened in that war? I want to know more. <laughs> yeah. Like in the audiobook version, I kept rewinding, like to, to listen to passages again. Because like you say, it goes by so fast. And then I'm like, wait, no, I, I just want to savor that moment, you know, like or that incident, you know. Yeah, the whole I mean, I was when I was rereading the first chapter, it sounded uh, just in my head. I was like, man, this would be I, I doubt they'll ever do it. And I don't know that I want them to. But in my head, it's like this would be awesome to see on screen of this war of these these, you know, demigod type of characters, um, you know, fighting each other and. Tolkis, I mean, not Tolkis, uh, Melkor destroying the lamps and like, how big were these lamps? Like, how, how did that, you know, how did that actually play out? And, you know, how would that look visually is, but yeah, that's something I, I don't know that they'll ever adapt that, you know, this part of the Silmarillion. But if they did, I would at least want to give it a shot because it, it just, in my head, it's like, this would be incredible. Yeah, it'd be a good, like, if they could do... You do just like one episode of a show, <laughs> you know, as a precursor <laughs> to like first age stuff, you know, just to show all of the the powers fighting and the, the destruction of the lamps and the original, you know, the fight with Melkor and Tolkis and what that looked like. And um, I know for me, I had to have the the first time I, I read it, I didn't. But these these days I have to have the maps in front of me um, to figure out where we are and like what Arda looks like at that time, because it changes pretty drastically between, you know, the, the two paragraphs <laughs> between the setting up of the lamp <laughs> and the spring of Arda and then their destruction. And then the continents are made and the whole thing looks completely different after that point. So yeah, the maps were a big help. Cause at this time, Arda is flat and that that's why the lamps can light all of Arda. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you've got one that's kind of this bluish light and the other that's sort of a yellowish. Um, at least that's how, and, and I tried to, I couldn't quite get there, but I was trying to think if that was described in the books or not, but every depiction I've seen on the maps or in, um, you know, just looking for pictures that people have made one of the lights is kind of this real bright sun like light. And the other is kind of a moon. Um, and that's the one in the North. And so I'm, but Mm. I think he uses the words like it's a perpetual day. Um, which is interesting to me that you have this spring of Arda. So it's like this, however long, like, you know, you, you think about what it took from our, for the earth to go from, kind of the volcanic maelstrom that was the beginning to 
where stuff was actually able to grow. I mean, you're, that's, I can't remember what Mike Rowe said. It was like a billion years <laughs> or two and, <laughs> and that specially did, but you know, it was a long time. And so you're thinking about like how long, like between the setting up, setting up of the lamps and the greening of Arda, that's a, like potentially that's a really, really long time. Um, and I also think about Melkor hanging out in the outer darkness in the void in that time frame. And yeah, and, and yeah. that's how he he sneaks up on on the Valar because he's because the light was so bright that they couldn't. Yeah, it says they they did not perceive the shadow in the north that was cast from afar by Melkor. Um. So yeah, it was so bright they couldn't see him, and he kind of uses that to sneak in and you know wreck shop because he's just he's just there to. <laughs> There did so discord among the among the Valar and you know rebelling against. And the his, reason uh, he's sneaking up on them now, right, is because it's Tolkas. Uh, it's Tolkas's wedding, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who's who's he marrying again? Nessa. Nessa. There yeah. it is. Nessa, the sister of Orome the Huntsman, and they have this awesome party, and there's lots of dancing, and I'm sure drinking, and then Tolkas goes to sleep. And then Melkor comes in and destroys the lamps. Whereas, like, the lamps are supposed to be the tallest mountains on Earth, the tallest mountains that have ever been. I'm like, imagine the destructive force that's being unleashed here. Like you said, Patty, it, it creates the continents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like um, it's like in the Foundation where you have that, the... Um, oh, the space elevator the space that elevator. crashes. Yeah, yeah. In Foundation. Right. Yeah, I so I listening to it again, it's interesting to me that Tolkis kind of comes in late, right? He's mm-hmm. he's not one of the original makers, right? He's not interested in going into Arda to to make it. He was content to be an Einor and stay, you know, in the heavens. Until, you know, Melkor basically gets the upper hand and starts winning the day, and then he comes in. Um, and I find it interesting that he comes in and he comes in alone, right? It's just him. It's just Tolkis. And he, he, you know, wrestles with Melkor, fights Melkor. And then he goes on and marries Nessa. And the the question I have in my mind is, who is Nessa supposed to be paired up with before? Was she supposed to be with Melkor? Mm. And is that like part of Melkor's hatred for Tolkis? Cause it's, it, it says that like all of Melkor's mind is bent towards like his dislike or, or his hatred of Tolkis. Obviously, because he, you know, Tolkis beats him up <laughs> and, <laughs> and and sends him packing. But I kind of I start I started to think about that. I think the last conversation we had where we talked about Sauron not having um, the kind of counterpart that. Um, oh, shoot. Yeah. yeah, that Ossie yeah. had. And I'm wondering if Melkor was supposed to have a counterpart, um, but because of of what he decided to do, he lost that, and Tolkis comes in and kind of takes that, takes his place in that role. Um, it was just something that occurred to me while I was listening to it this morning. I was like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> like, like, everybody's sort of yeah. paired up except for Melkor. And but Melkor was one of the original and Tolkis wasn't. And so. And then, you know, and then he he Melkor decides to make his move during, you know, the aftermath of the wedding, which I don't know. 
He's a wedding crasher. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you, I mean, if that's the case, like if he was supposed to be paired with, uh, you know, Nessa, it's like, you know, our Eru Luvatar could have had this plan for Melkor and then, you know, Melkor, you know, sowed the discord and started his own, you know, merry band of, uh, of, uh, (laughs) of Einor and, and, or of, uh, yeah, of, of, uh, of Einor and to, and it says in this part too, that he has spies among them and spies among the spirits in the world. And yeah, I was going to mention that. Yeah. I was interested by that. I'm like, who are these spies? Yeah. Well, and it's interesting thinking about it too, cause it's almost like he, he's almost like a golem in that case. Like, cause the golem when he, before he had the, or when he got the ring, when he was Smeagol was like spying on his family and, you know, anything, you know, it's, and he would, you know, get their secrets and, you know, use it to his advantage. And so it's, it's almost like a prefacing of Gollum in that way. Hmm. Yeah. Cause he's got the, so the whole covetous, covetous, uh, can't say that word. <laughs> <laughs> Covetousness. No. Covetousness. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> he's got that. It's sort of like you see it, um, kind of the most grandiose version of that in Melkor slash Morgoth and then sort of a slight step down in Sauron. And then you kind of get like all the way down to Golem, but it's the same thing, right? It's this desire for power, um, you know, over whatever it is. Um, and I think I kind of like Golem as sort of the portrayal of like what that actually is is at, at its core. It's sort of like if you were to take off all of the armor and, and really dig down deep to the very core of it, what does it look like in the end? In the end, it's, it's Golem. <laughs> yeah. The most unglamorous like thing you can imagine. You know, it's almost like the Dark Lords like Sauron and Morgoth kind of put they put all this armor and, and fancy like equipment on to just hide the fact that they're just these kind of, you know, small minded, petty, ugly creatures in the end. Yeah. yeah well, the next part of it, he's it talks after Melkor comes in and uh, he he begins it says he begins delving and building a vast fortress like yeah. deep under the earth and his fortress Ultumno uh Ultumno. and it just it sounds really cool it doesn't sound like a place i want to go but it sounds really cool like <laughs> building like this deep dark underground cave and fortress that's you know practically impenetrable it just sounds it sounds awesome um you know i'd love to see like that you know some i'd love to see that kind of portrayed as well on screen but um yeah, and it's you know from there that the kind of the the perversion of Arda kind of begins too, because like from there kind of the the it turns you know lush places into into swamps and you know nasty you know nasty places like Gollum would say. <laughs> bring it back to Gollum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know it's interesting because he he does that all while the lamps are still up. Right. And he starts the creeping sort of, um, I don't know what you call it, but marring of the spring of yeah. Arda. Arda marred. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then I can't, I'm really, I'm wondering, part of me wonders, like, did he do what he did because, you know, it was a good occasion to do it because of Tolkis's wedding and the sleep or, 
or did he do it because he was getting to the point where like they were gonna notice, <laughs> like, like the uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> the Marin had gotten probably so far both. afield. Yeah, probably some of both, and yeah, he because Tolkis later on we'll see is is the one that you know always goes out and and fights him uh, directly. Um, he's the uh, other I've, other podcasts and things have called him. He's like the bro, uh, you know, the bro jock <laughs> of the of the Valar. He's almost like a wrestler in a lot of ways. Like he's mm-hmm. you know he's he has that run into the ring when when everyone else you know Melkor's knocked everybody down and he he'd run in with. You know, Tolkis from the top rope with the with the steel chair to to take him down. John Cena cast as Tolkis. <clears throat> oh can, man, can we <laughs> dig it? Don't give them ideas. Don't give. Them... I don't know much about wrestling, but they I have, know uh, they... you can have The Rock play uh, Melkor. <laughs> John Cena play play Tolkis. That would be great. That'd be awesome. <laughs> And yeah, now that the continents are created, we actually have Amon, the continent that Valinor is on, as like a separate thing because the the toppling of the lamps has created the sundering seas. So they actually go into the, the far west of flat Arda at this point and raise up the uh the, the mountains of Valinor as kind of like this barrier to keep Morgoth out i suppose but i i get that he's an embodied spirit and stuff but couldn't he just shed his body and just go over those mountains like maybe i'm thinking too much about it well i yeah that's always confused me too like i get it for what happens eventually in the later ages but right at the beginning i i don't know this move never made sense to me like Mm. you had the valinor in kind of the center of Arda and then after the collapse of the, the lamps and the, you know, creation of the seas and the continents, they're like, well, we're going to leave middle earth and we're going to go way over here on this one side. And I'm like, why would you do that? Why would you not stay in the middle? <laughs> like, especially cause their goal always seems to revolve around helping the children of Iluvatar. And I'm like, wouldn't it be better to set up a giant sentinel watchtower in the middle of the planet <laughs> so you can watch <laughs> over everything than on the far end? Yeah, so yeah, well, this actually says so, you know, like I said, I'm, I have this film in front of me here because it, it's talking about how Melkor fled to Atumno and hid there, and the Valar they had to use their power to basically keep you know, keep Arda from falling apart. Um, and it says they were they feared to rend the earth again. So I'm, I kind of think of maybe they were trying to, they didn't want to exercise their power to, you know, they didn't want to, they didn't want to be where right where they would be in conflict with Melkor right away. They wanted to kind of be, be far away and just so that they didn't lead to something that could destroy Arda altogether through, you know, because if, if they were right where Melkor could see them and they could see Melkor, like eventually there would be, you know, there'd be a standoff and eventually someone would, someone would, would go for it and, you know, potentially destroy Arda. So maybe that's why they fled so far is because they were, they needed time to let things settle. Yeah. And they, they, they need a, they they don't want to destroy Arda completely because the children of Iluvatar need a place to actually live. And, <laughs> yeah. But at the same time that they're, it's like a tactical retreat. They are sort of leaving the field to Melkor at this point. 
Yeah, well, I think they both kind of, it, it was a both, both of the, both ends retreated. Melkor retreated to his fortress and they were, you know, they retreated to, to Amon or created and retreated to Amon so that they could kind of lick their wounds and prepare for, you know, salvage what they could and prepare for what's next. And you also have at this point with the creation of Valinor, you have Yavanna creating the two trees of Valinor, which are the successors of the two lamps. Although I believe at this point that the two trees only light Valinor, right? The rest of Arda has been plunged into darkness, I think, at this point. It's, if I remember right, the pass, so the, the, I can't remember what the giant mountain range right on the coast is called. Mm. Um, but there's a pass. Kind oh, of the Calakirian, the, the pass. Yeah. yeah. And that is the, kind of the way in which the light gets to the rest of Arda is through that pass. Because the, if I remember correctly, the trees are on a hill. Well, they're, aren't they on like a hill surrounded by a lake? Something like that. Yeah, vaguely I remember that, yeah. But they're kind of in line with that pass. Mm-hmm. And so their light kind of spills out from um, from there. But it's not, it's not like the lamps, right? Which were high above and which were constantly lit, right? The cyclical nature of the trees and the fact that it's you're only getting the light kind of through a peephole, more or less, <laughs> yeah, means that large swaths of of the rest of Arda are kind of in, you know, perpetual night. And he describes very interesting how the trees wax and wane. I'm not sure I understood it completely, but um, it is interesting. And the fact how like I, at what is it at both dawn and dusk, the lights of the two trees kind of mingle. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, well, I think it just means that it's like it's representing day and night. It's, you know, one tree is is brighter and represents the day and one tree is kind of darker and represents the moon. And then, yeah, and there's like the twilight and the dawn um, where they kind of intermingle. where it's, you know, in between the darkness and the light. Mm. And it also talks about how they're. How uh, dew kind of falls from them and they go into the lakes and various places and it's almost like a liquid light uh going out into the into the world to you know it says it's um hoarded in great vats like shining lakes is what the what the book says it sounds it sounds nice and that's in right after that it says thus begin the days of bliss of Valinor. and it also says that all the tales of the elder days are woven in the two the fates of the two trees because as as we'll see later, the the two trees are crucial to both the creation of the Silmarils and also the sun and moon. So it's like the, the rest of the Silmarils, this is really setting up for things that are going to happen later in the Quentin. All the way to the return of the king. Like That's it's, right. Yeah. Like you pretty much, I mean, you're seeing like there's a direct line of these from the trees of Valinor to uh, the tree that uh, Aragorn find in in the book it's he finds the a sapling of the of a you know a, a sapling of a seed of the of the seed of the tree of Numenor which was the seed of, of the tree <laughs> no of, yeah my, my, like my, a, my brother laughed at that when he read Return of the King for the first time he comes up to me and he's like do you know that they go through the whole genealogy of a tree and I'm <laughs> like yeah because <laughs> in the movie uh, it's just like you see the tree blooming and it's mm-hmm. not like 
but in the book it's like aragorn finds it you know kind of on a mountainside after after uh you know he's crowned king um but yeah it's yeah you see that that kind of genealogy or lineage of the tree which um you know if if they go there in the in later in the silmarillion with numenor there's could be a really cool scene of uh of a sildor trying to trying to save a tree from you know from a certain certain uh sauronian character uh trying to destroy it so and we should mention too that the the silver tree telperion is actually slightly older than laurelin which is the golden tree that's why they always call they say that the white tree is descended from the eldest of trees because the silver tree was older yeah and that's the symbol we see in in lord of the rings of a symbol of gondor is the tree yeah and you know symbol of numenor and and yeah, we actually saw for those, you know, for thing for Rings of Power, um, if this is your first time in the Silmarillion, you actually, you know, you, you probably you got a little bit spoiled if you saw the intro to Rings of Power because you see kind of what happens to the trees uh, in that. But ah, yes, we'll, we'll get there. Eventually. We will get there. Yep. Sadly, we will get there. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, even though that, that was just a little bit of the trees we've seen on screen, it, it was it was you know, even though it was brief, it was, it was really cool. So I would love to see kind of the trees in their glory, which, um, you know, I'm, I'm not as, I don't, I haven't really gone into it as in depth on all the speculation and, um, you know, leaks for rings of power season two, but, I, you know, maybe we'll see something there where we get a flashback to when the trees were kind of in their glory. Yeah. Cause you have, I mean, you've got the flashbacks to Galadriel in, in Valinor um right obviously during the day <laughs> and so during the during the golden and so i assume that's that's prior to the sun but i could be wrong on that but i think she's i think she's old enough oh no I yeah they, so. they 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 show the two trees in that <clears throat> sequence yeah yeah because yeah, she's i forget the i forget the terminology but she is there's a there's this distinction between elves who bathed in the light of the trees and the elves who didn't like in the elves mm-hmm. who came before is it caliquindy were the elves who bathed in the, in the light of the trees and then there's a different term possibly for the ones who did not bathe in the light of the trees oh more i think it is okay yeah or dark elves if you're being vulgar about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. see elves can be vulgar but they they, they just use their fancy language to make it sound not as insulting but yeah <laughs> legolas is one of those uh one of those dark elves because yeah. or i think like, like him i actually think that they're that he's like a third group like right like gray elves where they were they were gonna go to valinor initially and then didn't that's something else that's gonna come up later yeah. this, this is a sindar if I remember correctly, yeah, right. He's, yeah. he's Cinderin. Um, what's his name? The keeper of the Grey Havens is the chief. Oh, um, Kyrdan. oh, Kyrdan. Kyrdan. Yeah, because yeah, he was going to be a Noldor, and he, like, he tries to make it across so many times, and he just can't <laughs> do it, and he ends up being literally the last one, the last <laughs> like, to leave, and he was gonna go across with like the second group, <laughs> mm-hmm. and he's just like. No, it, it's okay if I skip this one boat. There'll be others, right? Yeah, and then like, I can build an. I'll build another boat. I gotta go find my nephew. He got lost in the woods. I'll be back. <laughs> oh, wait till we get to that. That's a weird chapter. <laughs> <laughs> um. But anyway, did did we have any other notes on uh on this chapter? 
of the Silmarillion. I yeah, well, I mean, we've only we've we haven't even talked at all about the the coming of the children of Iluvatar, which is it's kind of not um, they don't the, we don't see the children awaken yet in this chapter, but they kind of talk about it and they just kind of talk about and there's some descriptions of Manway and um, you know he sounds he sounds pretty awesome to behold, but yeah the. <laughs> They kind of and they kind of make the distinction that the elves will be, the elves will have certain gifts and will kind of take more after the Valar, while the men will be more, you know, not don't not take after the Valar, but will have a gift and you know have other gifts that the elves do not. And you know, kind of chief among them is the is the gift of men, which is which is death in in this world is um, where they they go they go to be that somewhere where elves don't follow because elves when they die go to the halls of Mandos for you know, possible uh, resurrection in that way. But whereas men, we don't know where they go. Um, you know, they're kind of taken to the heart of a Luvatar and we don't really, in, in the world, they don't know, really know what that means, but. Right. Although like, and I've heard some versions of it where like men, they make a stopover in the hall of Mandos and then they leave and no one knows yeah. what happens to them. Yeah. I, I really love the description of it as a gift. Um, and I think that the more I've thought about it as the older I've gotten, shockingly, um, <laughs> the more I've, I've kind of realized in a lot of ways it is a gift. And I, but I think it is a gift that comes as a result of the fall. Like I think death becomes a necessary remedy to detach us basically to deal with the concupiscence. Um, ah to detach us from the desire to want the lesser good. Um, if we're going to put it in Aquinas's terminology and sort of when you're taken away from the world and you know, the, the kind of the classical things that tend to draw people away from God, um, <clears throat> by death, by the splitting of your spirit from your, your body. Um, I think it really, like, I think that's one of the biggest parts of, like, purgation <laughs> and purgatory is that split there that happens and getting used to the fact that I not only, um, like, I, I I can't get the things that I might have wanted more than God anymore and then realizing I don't need them. Um, mm. And I really like that description of it as a gift. And I don't know whether Tolkien was trying to get at that from that perspective or not. Um but I kind of, I like that in the world too, because you have, you know, the world of men, the world that the men are, are born into is a world that is like under the sway of Morgoth, right? <clears throat> Who at that time has relatively control of, of, uh, he, he's, you know, he's back in Otumno or Thangorodrum, uh, depending on how you want to term it, but, you know, when the men come on the scene, Morgoth is the power in middle earth. And so death becomes a way for them to escape his, um, his reign basically. Yeah. And I don't know if, if you just want me to read this, the, like the last line of the first chapter, I think kind of sums it up pretty well. It's, it says, um, yet of old, the Valar declared to the elves in Valinor that men shall join in the second music of the Ainur. Whereas Iluvatar has not revealed what he purposes for the elves after the world's end, and Melkor has not discovered it. Mm. And yeah, that, I mean, yeah, that's just incredibly powerful. Of, very mysterious. Yeah, very mysterious. It's, you know, kind of 
that second, you know, the second coming type of thing where, you know, eventually in our theology as Catholics, the, the world will eventually, you know, the dead will rise and there will be, you know, like we'll be on earth for a while, um, you know, and we don't know what that'll look like or what, <laughs> what that'll be. So, um, whereas the elves are just kind of, they're just kind of there and there till the end, uh, and beyond. So. I like what you said, Pat, about how death is kind of like the the solution to concupiscence, you know, and that desiring of the lesser good, because that's the elves entire problem, isn't it? That yeah. they desire the lesser good. And that keeps like we'll see it with Feanor. We'll see it with Thingol. We'll see it with, you know, all these major elves that they 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 want to build a perfect paradise in Arda and they want to keep the things that they've made and the things that the 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 spaces and lands that they've created and and tended and i guess it's kind of part of their nature because they live as long as Arda lives unless they're slain and so they become so attached that it's like they can't leave with like death. Their souls just stay even when they're slain. And they also will, at least in middle earth, they'll kind of fade away eventually or like almost, you know, they can, they can kind of fade away losing their like, you know, in a, in some kind of weird way. And it's not all else, but I think it, it happens, especially to the one that comes to mind is like, um, is Elrond's wife. She kind of, has some grief some grief for being attacked by orcs and is like they have to send her away because her kind of spirit is waning and they kind of talk about in the, that in the movies um which were oh with how, arwen which are, yeah yeah of, of arwen of you know her light is fading so they have to get her you know get her out of middle earth so yeah it's interesting there's a lot to lot to unpack with the elves yeah, you kind of have this this um different approach to time right because the elves have a timeless nature about them and so living in time would pose a lot of difficulties because like everything changes right it's a continual changing process um and it it makes sense that their home is with the valinor because they're unchanging and they've made uh, amon an unchanging um the undying lands right so it's it's sort of like, whereas men really do belong in Middle Earth from that perspective, because just like Middle Earth changes, they change. Um, right. They don't belong in an unchanging environment. It would probably drive them mad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, and it's kind of the plan, you know, as we'll, as we'll see as we go through this film, it's kind of the, you know, you can kind of see that it's Iluvatar's plan that men kind of take over the dominion of Arda from mm -hmm. from the elves because the elves are the, the first to awaken and it's kind of the elves job to you know the plan is to kind of ennoble men through um you know through various means and through the introduction of as we'll see in a, in a chapter the next in our next recording where we talk about uh, a marriage of a of a uh, myar with with an elf to kind of introduce that that myar you know uh, genealogy into the into the world and uh, the the next chapter we talk about tonight is actually one of my favorites, bar none, in the entire Silmarillion, and that is of Aule and Yavanna. I just love this chapter. 
I think because I identify a lot with Ale <laughs> as, <laughs> as a creative person, as a guy who likes to create art and 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 write things. I yeah, I I get a lot of where he's coming from and the kinds of things he says to Iluvatar in this chapter. I'm like, yeah, no, I've I've been in your place. You know, it's like it it and you can see where his students go bad because they do very similar things, but they don't have the most important thing, which is Aule's humility. But and and the the important thing of this chapter though is that he he creates the dwarves. That is kind of the 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 narrative thrust of this chapter. He's Aule is, and I wonder if Tolkien too was kind of putting a little bit of himself in Aule because Aule's the great sub creator, right? He creates all the things in in Arda, whether it's mountains, gems, all that stuff, and then finally he's like. Well, I'm tired of waiting for the children. I'm going <laughs> to fashion my own, right? And I like how he said he he kind of has a vague idea of what they're supposed to look like, but he doesn't know exactly. And so that that's, I guess, supposed to be the explanation why the dwarves are the way they are. Well, or that or he kind of made them look like himself, like hmm. he could be this because he, he's kind of the, you know, a version of like, you know, Hephaestus, um, you know, from the from the, the Greek or, Ro- or Roman mythology. Vulcan. So yeah, Vulcan. Yeah. So he's kind of that, you know, that Smith and at least in, in things I've seen, Hephaestus always is this like, he kind of looks like a dwarf already. So, um, you know, in art. So I think that's maybe he was kind of making them look like himself a little bit, you know, so maybe he's pretty, I don't, I'd have to look back and see if there's like a really dis- detailed description of Ali, but you know, it could be a pretty bearded, you know, Bearded guy, short and bearded. He is in like a lot of fan art that I've seen. He just looks like a, a giant. This is good. This is a, a giant dwarf, an oxymoron. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting that he's paired with Yavanna. So he's he's the smither, the smith, the one who you know basically breaks things to make things. Whereas Yavanna is growing, is the you know the one who makes things grow. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's kind of a, it's like the opposites attract, you know, as we're, you know, this will probably come out around, you know, Valentine's Day slash Ash Wednesday. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of there. I don't think when we, we really talked about the Valar when we did like the Valentine's Day episode last year, but there are some, you know, it's interesting to look at those marriages of the Valar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's Ale and Yavanna's is probably the most contentious just because they're so, they're so opposite. <laughs> so in different. Terms. And she says later on in this chapter that, you know, like you didn't include me in this creation of the dwarves. And so now your children, the dwarves, won't really care much for any of the things that I love. Yeah. No trees and growing things and dwarves like what Aule likes stone and smithcraft and jewels and the things of the earth. And, you know, and they don't really you know, seem to have much reverence for Yavanna. And so, and, and we'll, we'll see later what that leads to. <laughs> but, uh, um, so he doesn't actually form, I think they say in this, the entire dwarvish race right away. He just creates the seven fathers of the dwarves and puts them underneath Mount Gundabad. It doesn't mention this, but I think it's in ancillary materials that he places them between Mount uh, underneath Mount Gundabad, which is that 
that really tall mountain at like the farthest northern end of the Misty Mountains, hmm. which I think is interesting because in the north is where Morgoth is hanging out. And it's almost like Aule's like, when the time comes, these guys are going <laughs> to rise up and take the fight right to Melkor. Well, isn't in uh, this? I know this is. I think this is from the Hobbit movies. But isn't I think in the movies isn't the the orcs they're fighting from Gundabad, right? Because the uh, orcs take it over later. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the eventual outcome of all former dwarven holdings is to become <laughs> goblinness. Oracle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they always take over their holy sites. You know, like Mount Gundabad is a holy site it's where they were created. They take over. Casa Doom, the home of Durin, you know, like it. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to be a dwarf. You you make you're make get a nice home, and then somebody takes it from you. And yeah, d- d- goblins or dragons or whatnot are always taking your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's interesting how they describe because Luvatar confronts them. And said, and yeah, I, I love how he yeah. he goes to Middle Earth to do this. He's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to hide this from the rest of the Valinor by going to this <laughs> other continent that we've abandoned. It's like Jonah. And, right. Yeah, he's <laughs> clean from God. I'm going to yeah. go over here and surely, surely Iluvatar doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> he's the John Cena because you can't see him. Because you can't see him. <laughs> <laughs> no but but yeah no he yeah he's so he, it's his story is so he's like the opposite of melkor because melkor when melkor tries to sow discord and he doesn't he doesn't you know come back in humility to oluvatar in the in the Indale. he's he still just thinks he's he's he knows better whereas alice kind of says when when Iluvatar confronts him, Ali says, you know, I wanted to be like you and I will, you know, be, because I wanted to be like you and honor you, you know, I, I will destroy my creations if you so will it. But Luvatar, of course, being merciful, says he he will not, you know, don't destroy them yet. However, they're going to have to go to sleep for a while until until at least the first children awaken. Um, and he kind of says they're not the children of my creation but the children are children of my adoption Mm. and he mentions too how to Aule he's like you've essentially created automatons because you you can't give anything life in and of itself so whenever you're not thinking about the dwarves they'll just stand there and so I've, I've heard it described as like like it's like when you stop playing with a character in a video game. He just kind of stands there. You know, he has no will other than your will because he's a video game character and he's just there to receive your input. So it's like that's it's like that's what the dwarves are at this point. But Iluvatar, as you say, Jeff, adopts them. He gives them life. He gives them souls because when he tells when Aule offers to destroy them and he raises his big hammer up to smash them, the dwarves quail. You know, they're like they become afraid and they beg for mercy and Iluvatar's like, look, they did a thing on their own because I've given them life. Yeah, I kind of wonder about that. Like, you're, 
like your first moment of consciousness is <laughs> I'm about to get destroyed by my creator. Like, <laughs> how does that how does that play on <laughs> dwarven psychology? Yeah. <laughs> like maybe hmm. maybe there's trust issues for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. Like so I wonder like I like how early on did Iluvatar give them their own sort of of consciousness like because mm. they're because just just to avoid that just to avoid their first moment of being oh i'm about to get crushed by a hammer <laughs> <laughs> yeah like seconds after becoming <laughs> conscious <they're> like ah yeah <laughs> you, you know what i was just thinking of as we were talking is that could this have been one of tolkien's original ideas for the orcs that Morgoth did something similar. Now, I know later he has them be corrupted elves, but I wonder if one of the ideas for orcs and trolls was that they were these kind of automaton creations of Morgoth. Because even in the Lord of the Rings, there's this idea that when Sauron's will wavers, the orcs and trolls don't know what to do. That, like, they're kind of tied to his will in some mysterious way. So, like, the, the, I wonder if, if that is a, a relic of one of Tolkien's original ideas to have orcs and trolls be these kind of soulless automatons. Yeah, I mean, I think, so I, at least trolls, I feel like, are, they've got to be some kind of descendant of, of Amayar that Melkor corrupted. Because I... Because they're kind of the anti, they're kind of the the opposite of ints because they're, they're, you know, kind of like rock. They're not rock or made of rock, but they're kind of like a lot, you know, that's kind of their aligned element. Um, so I wonder if, it, if, if trolls and, and I haven't done, I haven't checked the, into this at all, but I wonder if trolls are kind of descended from a Maiar, you know, or, or some Maiar that Sauron corrupted that he, you know, eventually was able to kind of breed this race of, uh, or that Melkor corrupted that was able to kind of breed this race of, you know, rock creature type of things. Um, yeah, it's 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 possible that this was kind of the you know may a potential original idea, but I think I like it better that uh, how he had to, how he had it with Owl uh versus you know Melkor uh, kind of getting creating these things and then Eluvatar gives them life, but turns out they're bad and they. <laughs> And they kind of wreck wreck the world in a lot of ways. What do you think, Pat? Yeah, I think I think you're probably onto something because there's there's a very similar end note, if I remember correctly, that Iluvatar gives to Aule that he also gave at the very end of the song, um, at the very beginning, which is <clears throat> effectively like everything you do, I am going to use in my purpose, like whether you mean it or not, um, I'm going to use it in my purposes and you are just going to fulfill what I want to do. Um, and I want to say he tells Ali this at sort of the end of their conversation they have about the dwarves. Um, and that, you know, when you read that in the, in the, uh, the, I, uh, I can't do it. <laughs> I, I, Anya Lindelay. Anya Lindelay. When you read that, it's very much, it feels very much like, uh, 
Iluvatar is speaking very directly to Melkor. I mean, he's talking to all of the Ainur, but he, you can mm-hmm. tell <laughs> like he's he's kind of zeroing in on Melkor. And so it seems because of like, I think there's a very similar note to that. Those two exchanges. Um, and so I yeah, that that kind of makes sense to me. Like that could have been the, the potential origination of the orcs. Yeah, and like he he mentions how like because obviously Iluvatar foresaw all of this. He knew what Ale was going to do. So it's not like he's like, oh, now look what you've done. Now I've got to adopt these dwarves. I've got to fit them into my plan somehow. No, they were part of the plan from the beginning because he's omniscient. He has perfect knowledge of everything that is going to happen. But yeah, the, 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 there's an interesting future episode, a free will in Middle Earth, because there's there's definitely a discussion to be had there about uh, the theme of free will in Middle Earth, where it's like because the classic argument, oh, if God knows everything, how do we have free will? And I feel like Tolkien explores that definitely that, that question. Yeah, I think any any time you have a work that brings in the concept of fate or mm-hmm. being fated or doomed. I think he uses the word doomed a lot when doomed, he means, yeah. um, when he's talking about kind of fated things, uh, y- you are kind of delving into that realm of like, well, what is the interplay between, you know, um, a fated thing or fate or, or a doom and my free will. Um, and, you know, you get kind of, I, I think his, his big treaty on that was probably, is probably the children of Huron. Um, oh yeah, and just watching uh, turn turn bar and the doom leveled on him, and how that just can constantly oh, uh. just plays out. It like you just you just want it to go right for him one time, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one time. <laughs> it it is like watching someone tumble down a hill. And constantly hit like really sharp, nasty rocks. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to watch this. You know he's going to eventually hit the bottom and go splat. And there's nothing you can do about it. And you're just like, that, that, that must have been what, what Hurin felt like. Yeah. <laughs> Having I mean, to watch all that. Yeah. You're just like, oh. yeah. We'll get there, though. We That's will fun... get there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we will. That's a fun, that'll be a fun discussion. <laughs> they also mentioned, we, we mentioned about like the fates of of elves and men. I think they mentioned in this chapter a little bit about the fate of dwarves or what dwarves believe about it, right? Because they mentioned elves think that when dwarves die, they turn back into stone. Mm-hmm. And like, of course, elves would believe that. <laughs> <laughs> The, the dwarves believe that um, they they go to the halls of Mandos where they have special rooms prepared for them, and that at halls, the end, halls set apart, halls set I apart, think is what it's, yeah. What it says. And then that at the end, in the new Arda, they will help uh, Aule rebuild it, which is kind of a cool idea. I I find that interesting to that there is this belief among the elves that they turn back to stone. Simply because if, so I guess it depends on what elf you ask, right? Like if you're Mm -hmm. talking to the elves in Valinor, will they, you know, converse on a fairly regular base with the Valar? So in my mind, that brings up a question, like how much do the Valar know? Like, so 
you have Ale who does this, you know, in a mountain in Middle Earth and has a conversation with Eru. But it and and he talks to Yavanna about it, right? She knows. Mm-hmm. Um, but how much do any of the rest of them know? I mean, Manway knows because he knows everything. But <laughs> like, <laughs> like, how much do the rest of the Valar know, and how much do they tell the elves? They're you know the well, vast yeah. Elves? Well, it talks about the second music of the Einor, which is that going to be you know is that like the end of the end of Arda altogether, or is it you know a re a you know, rebuilding of Arda, kind of what does that entail? And and I don't know, I, I haven't read, you know, all the supplemental stuff, so I don't know if there's, if Tolkien never talks more about that, but um, yeah, I don't know. So I don't know. I, I kind of like the idea that they all, you know, that, that the dwarves and elves kind of come together in the end, because they're, they're very much at odds throughout the Silmarillion and, and even, you know, at the time of Lord of the Rings, um, they're very much at odds with each other. But I like the idea of them kind of coming together to, to with the elves to, you know, rebuild Arda in the end. Yeah. And eventually we have this. You you, you mentioned uh, like Yavanna knows and she I, I, I forget, like, Jeff, you have the, the text in front of you. How does she find out? That's actually what I can't remember, uh, because Owl kept it a secret from her. Yeah. Initially. And- you, you put me on the spot here. Let me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I don't know if they actually explain how she finds out, or if, mm. if it's Alay confesses to her. Oh yeah, it might have been that because yeah. So it says he the 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 paragraph says now when Alay labored in making of the dwarves, he kept this work hidden from the other Valar, but at last he opened his mind to Yavanna and told her of all that had come to pass. He and then she kind of basically tells her. She tells him, you know. Iluvatar is merciful, so you, you should probably tell him what you did. <laughs> <laughs> but she's upset because she's like, like, not only will these beings not care a whole lot for my province, which is growing things, but it, we, we're introducing another group of children of Iluvatar here. She was already kind of worried that, you know, elves and men would cut down her trees and use her her plant like domesticate plants and stuff and start to as, yeah. as it says in the bible you know like to subdue the earth essentially yeah. and, and so, then Ali kind of claps back at her and says but this the children of Iluvatar will do the same thing they still have to they'll have to eat and they'll yep. have to build and so it's i mean she kind of so i mean like Ali kind of has a point there that like yeah it's not just going to be my children who are going to you know mm-hmm. going to cut down trees it's going to be you know, men and men and elves and elves who you who respect trees, but still use them for different things. You know, yeah, well, maybe the elves kind of like if they need a if they need a tree, they kind of like sing to the tree and it, it grows them a branch like a bow or whatever. <laughs> or they wait <laughs> for the tree to, to die naturally and then they yeah, use it. Yeah. But then like but she appeals to Manwe, Yavana does and says like, oh, look, you know, Ale gets to keep his um illicit creation here <laughs> the what gives you know like and i think i said uh manway actually goes in prayer to iluvatar to ask what's to be done and he gets the answer back that that there will that iluvatar will raise up beings that we know as the ants who will kind of protect yavana's creations until they fall asleep for a long time <laughs> and lose their wives 
<laughs> they lose, they their, lose wives. their wives. Yeah. <laughs> but but that raises the question: like, what are Ents exactly? Like, are they another sentient being, like the other free peoples, or are they Maiar somehow? It it's like the them and the Eagles are very mysterious because it yeah. it's not exactly clear what they are supposed to be. Well, it could be, yeah, I mean, it could be kind of like we talked about how the Maiar, you know, how the Maiar through um, Melian enter into the, you know, they, they you know, procreate into into the children of Iluvatar. So it could be kind of the same thing. Maybe there's Maiar who, um, you know, kind of morphed into trees or into eagles or whatever, and kind of their descendants became what we know as the, you know, the, the sentient eagles and the and the ants and whatnot. Uh, but oh, I feel like tree. Yeah, I think isn't Treebeard supposed to be the the oldest living thing? You know, living creation. I want to say. Um, in Him Middle and Earth. Tom like, Bombadil, yeah. I think, hold like the record. <laughs> like, well, it's, but yeah, it depends. Is Tom Bombadil created? You know, we can right, go back to that discussion. Yeah. <laughs> go back a, about a year in our podcast, and you can listen to the whole. <laughs> Whole discussion on Tom Bombadil. More on that later because we have feedback about him. Yeah, but um, uh, yeah. So, uh, do you guys have any other thoughts on the uh, on Aule and Yavanna and the creation of the dwarves or anything else in in this chapter? Because I feel I I could talk about it all night. It's just like I love this chapter. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I have to say, kind of say, is even though Shiavana, like the elves, are kind of more, they're kind of aligned more to. To different Valar, um, but some of them kind of honor Yavanna in the, in the way of like they're they honor the trees and in nature. So, but it's kind of like all the you know it's it's kind of setting that that the elves and the dwarves will be you know constantly butting heads over you know at least the the elves who are kind of the wood elves will kind of always be butting heads against the dwarves, um, and we see that throughout you know throughout the Silmarillion and and how Legolas and Gimli in Lord of the Rings are initially at odds, but then they become friends in the end. So it's kind of a re, you know, kind of a, a re or reunification of that, you know, that idea of, you know, these children that are at odds are now, you know, are now good friends, um, but they still can't have relationships with each other, romantic relationships with each other. So. <laughs> Just to go back to the Hobbit movie. It always comes back to that. Yeah, it's really- <laughs> So we're contractually obligated to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> It'll just build up hype for when we finally get to those. <laughs> what about you, Pat? You have any uh, other thoughts on this section? I think it, for the, for me, this approaches a lot of questions. Um, like, for instance, okay, you have the seven dwarves who are you know taken by Iluvatar and, and placed in the mountains and put to sleep, but they're the dwarf fathers. Right, yeah. and so you, where the mothers come from? Does Iluvatar just create them out of stone? Is Ale involved in that process? Yeah, that's kind of my thought. Is that he he puts the 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 dwarf the fathers to sleep, and when they wake up, there's there's some uh, you know magically some dwarf wives for them. Oh, well, <laughs> like Adam, Adam, and Adam Eve goes sort of to sleep, yeah. and then God pulls Eve from his rib. So that's that's always been a question in my mind. Um, you know, it's interesting to me, like how much, how much do the dwarves know about Ale? Um, because mm. they have know, a name for him, right? Because you know Mahal. they know his name. Do they know yeah. he's married to Yavanna? Like, 
do, do they like mm. how much do they know about the other Valar? Because the elves have, you know, a long history of interacting with the Valar, um, you know, and the men have kind of what they've been given from the elves as far as stories go. But you, there's in my mind, there's always a big question about like how much do the dwarves know? Um, is it just that one interaction they have with Ale before they're put to sleep and then they kind of got to figure it out from there? Um, and so I think that to me kind of brings in a lot of tension between what their cosmological view of the universe is versus like the elves. Like it's a very different position where you're like, yeah, I've, I've met God's overseer of this planet versus <laughs> I woke up in a cave. <laughs> like, you know, right. Um, so do they even know about Iluvatar? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Is there, you know, what's their mythology is, is Ale it, is he their version of Iluvatar? Because in their mind, he's the creator. Um, so I, I wonder about that. And I wonder about the reincarnation cycle, you know, their belief yeah. that the, the dwarf fathers kind of reincarnate through the, through their generations. And where did that come from? And I mean, is it true? Like, I, I don't know from a lore perspective if Tolkien ever said, yeah, this is actually true or is, or is it just something the dwarves believe? Yeah, that's interesting. Like, it's just cause they believe it doesn't mean that it's true. Right. You know, and yeah, I don't think Tolkien ever confirms one way or the other. He just says the dwarves have many strange beliefs about themselves and their fate in the world. But yeah, I like that their their culture and their religion is kind of set apart because they were created apart. You know, whereas elves, men and hobbits being an offshoot of men are all the children of Iluvatar, you know. And whereas dwarves are kind of this, like, adopted by Iluvatar and certainly foreseen by him, but are still kind of set apart from the other races. And so that, and then that will definitely come into play later. (laughs) As they seem to be in conflict with pretty much everybody. All right. So, yeah, you guys can keep uh, listening for our, because we are going to go through this whole book eventually. And I don't know how long it will take us. And we might be interrupted later this year by the Rings of Power when it comes out. But we plan to do this whole thing. And so um, next week, um, we'll actually be doing uh, chapters three, four, and five, because they're all rather short of the the Quintus Silmarillion. Um, But before we close tonight, I want to catch up on a, a little bit of feedback. I don't we. We've been we've been saving feedback to use. I don't know if I'll, if we'll eventually get if we'll get to all of these tonight. But um, our first bit of feedback goes all the way back to the Tom Bombadil episode, actually. So that's nice. And this bit of feedback comes from, by the way, like 10 out of 10 on this uh, social media handle here. It comes from Darth Maltodextrin. <laughs> writes the idea. The idea came to my mind while listening is that maybe Tom Bombadil is an unfallen Adam figure. We know that in real life, Adam ate the fruit and sinned. But if Bombadil was the first non-Ainur and never sinned, maybe that could explain how he's immortal and unaffected by the ring. The ring wasn't his trial and therefore holds no temptation for him. So like a primordial almost like, but 
but yeah, then that that raises the question: Is he one of the children of Iluvatar? What is he? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I I think I said this last year when we did that episode, but I th- I think he's kind of a he's some kind of unclassified Einor, uh, you know, somewhere between a Valar and a Meyer. But yeah, it is interesting that he does seem to have a lot of like qualities of what we would say unfallen, especially because he's in complete harmony with nature. Like we, you know, he's, he, there is no sort of tension between him and nature. Like we see with mortals and, uh, and yeah, and, and he's simply not tempted by the ring at all. So, <laughs> so much not, te- not tempted by it. He doesn't even think about it. Gandalf said he would just lose it or like throw it away. I like I like how like they bring him up in that council and they're all everybody's just like yeah that guy yeah <laughs> <laughs> like he's cool but he's really no no good for this business yeah no so our next bit of feedback is about our last Silmarillion episode on the Ainulindale uh, Paul Leon writes another great episode can't wait to see more episodes about the Silmarillion. And while most of the history of Middle-earth is incomplete, there are a few finished pieces, especially in the last three books, and Unfinished Tales, despite the title, is similar in that respect. Yeah, we, we will have to uh, eventually get to some of that stuff. Um, in Unfinished Tales, there's actually some really cool stuff about the wizards, which I don't know if we've covered yet. Yeah, we talked about it briefly, uh, I think, in the in the in the Patreon, the Patreon episode. episode, yeah, right, which be, yeah, which will be released, I, th- I believe, to everybody else when the, by the time this is airing. So. Oh yeah, it it, it should sure, about the shortly after we record this, it will go up. I think. Um, Paul also uh, uh, wrote uh, when we released our Father Christmas episode. Merry Christmas to all of you at the Secrets of Middle Earth. Um, well, yeah, Merry Christmas. Two months late, I guess, because it's <laughs> going on. ordinary time. Merry ordinary time. We're merry Lent because yeah, like yeah, Lent is in point. February. <laughs> yeah, by the time this is out, merry Lent or or I don't know if Mary's the right word for Lent. It's the right word for Lent. Lent. Yeah, penitential Lent. Penitential Lent. To you. Lent to you. <laughs> Gonna make that a thing. Okay, yeah, I, I think we can finish the rest of this feedback. Um, on our episode on the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, another one from Paul. Fantastic panel about the movie. Can't wait for the next installment. And yes, as of this recording, we have we have just recorded an episode on Peter Jackson's The Two Towers, and we're planning Return of the King. So that will that will be exciting. And uh, John Henry writes. I, too, don't want to see another live action remake, but will entirely watch it if they make it. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's all. probably all of us. Yeah, we, we'll be in the seats watching this stuff if they make it under protest, possibly. But <laughs> <laughs> under protest, yeah. uh, and Stefan Bonak, I, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, sir writes always enjoy the secrets of middle earth well thank you Stefan. we always enjoy recording it and uh i think we we all enjoy doing these silmarillion episodes because the silmarillion is so cool and there's just some awesome stuff coming up in fact 
Jeff, you and I were talking with uh, Alex Murray about how we're going to get some of those really cool duels yeah. coming up eventually, like Morgoth and Fingolfin and mm-hmm. Glorfindel and the Balrog. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. And if, if, the, if these early chapters aren't really grabbing your interests to our re, to our listeners, definitely give it a little bit of time because we'll we'll start getting into some action pretty soon. Yeah, just wait. Yeah, the the action is coming, and when it comes, it's really over the top. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> long, long, yeah, long stretches of boredom punctuated by moments of sheer terror. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like the battles, the battles we see in, in Lord of the Rings on steroids. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, yeah, if if you like Battle of the Pelennor Fields, that is like a minor border skirmish compared to what happens in some of these Silver Iliad battles. But uh, before we go, we would like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make possible the secrets of Middle Earth, including Min N, Stephanie M, Michael D. Christina T and Blaze B. Their generous donations help us to continue to create the secrets of Middle Earth and all of the shows here at StarQuest. And you can join them at sqpn.com slash give. And we would love to hear from you. What did you think of the beginning of days and the tale of Aule and Yavanna or the Silmarillion in general? What, what are you most excited for us to cover? Please let us know on our Facebook page or on Twitter or by sending an email to MiddleEarth at SQPN.com. You can leave us a comment on our YouTube channel or visit our channel on the StarQuest Discord community at SQPN.com slash Discord. And join us next time when, oh, actually the next episode to release after this will be Peter Jackson's The Two Towers. Yeah. So until then, thank you, Jeff Hecker, for joining me and sharing the secrets of Middle Earth. Thank you, Thomas. And Patrick Mason, thank you as well. Oh, thank you. Have a penitential Lent, everybody. (laughs) Okay, penitential Lent. There should be like Lent Lent carols. (laughs) (laughs) Before this... On that note, before this goes completely off the rails, once again... I am Thomas Salerno. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. The Secrets of Star Trek. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Star Trek.